Irish NFL show. Firstly, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate all our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It makes a huge difference. It helps others to find the show, and we would massively appreciate it. Also, reach out to us on social media. We love interacting with listeners and with fans from wherever you are in the world. And with that well, said, the key on news this week, because um, our guest has arrived just in time, Connor Rogers. We've held back all the uh, draft questions for Connor, so we'll bring him in. Connor, it's great to have you uh, from NBC Sports. Uh, I think it's your tour to fourth time on the Irish NFL show. You're very welcome back. Oh, well, thank you guys. Love to be here. Great to see you guys. Hope all is well. And I know we're going to have a lot of exciting NFL draft to talk today. We do. But before we get into that, we just want to offer air congratulations on behalf of the Irish NFL show on your recent news that you got engaged. Uh, congratulations. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. We hope uh, We hope maybe you'll, uh, you've certainly toasted it, but you're always welcome in, uh, in Dublin, whether that's uh, for a honeymoon or whatever you want, Cutter, you know? Listen, it's going to happen at some point. I got to get out there. It's on me. I'm the one uh, slacking right now, and you guys will be the first to know when I make my way over. Excellent. Well, look, I, I want to kick things off by maybe, you know, oh, it's the QBs that always get the, the focus, right? Um, or maybe the edge guys. But I know that you're pretty high on this year's tight end class. Yeah, it's a great group, and I think it's a great group by depth, but it also has a little bit of star talent at the top, and when you have that balance, it really, really helps because it kind of leads to this stare down of, well, we have a couple of great tight ends, but our team's going to wait because they feel like they can get starters in round two, three, four, maybe even five. So we had a deep tight end class last year, but I don't think it had anybody that was in the conversation to ever really go in the first round consistently, and this year... When you look at a guy like Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, I mean, he's somebody that can block. He can catch with, um, you know, in traffic with physicality. He's been super, super productive. I think he's caught 89 first downs over the last two years. That, that's just somebody a quarterback leans on and constantly moves the chains. And that's why he's probably going to go in the first round. But the buck doesn't stop there. I mean, Dalton Kincaid from Utah uh, might have the most upside as a pass catcher in this draft. He doesn't offer the same blocking that a lot of other guys do, but you have these teams that are looking for these move tight ends that are big. They can kick off the line of scrimmage, line up in the slot, run the seam. They're bigger than defensive backs. They're faster than linebackers. Kincaid kind of fits that mold. And finally, the last guy that has at least a shot to go in the first round is Darnell Washington uh, from Georgia with the big number zero. I mean, this guy's a freak, right? He looks like an extra offensive tackle. The guy loves the block. He lives the block. But I think there's a lot of untapped potential as a receiving tight end. If he didn't play with Brock Bowers, the best tight end in college football, you kind of wonder where the production would be. And when you do look at the targets, you look at the NFL combine workout, the guy is a natural at catching the ball. And what he can do after the catch is dangerous because of that big frame, the leaping ability as well. So those are the big three at this class, but it's a lot deeper than that. So one of my favorite things, like, I don't know, from kind of watching the film as it drops throughout the year is like, these guys, the, a lot of the people that kind of wait to get into the NFL draft stuff till after the NFL season ends, you know, you have those prospects in mind that you're just waiting for everyone to kind of fall in love with. Darnell Wright was one of those guys for me this year where it seemed like no one really knew his name until they kind of got to the Alabama tape in like January or February and said, oh my God, this is one of the top tackles. Uh, who would you say, who was your prospect this year that you were just like, man, I know that people are going to fall in love with this guy as soon as they drop their eye on him. Who was that? 
It was Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. It's one of those situations where you look at it. He got the Senior Bowl invite, so he was on the radar. Maybe he'd pop up in the late 20s of a mock draft here or there, but he was kind of an afterthought in this corner class behind the names like Keely Ringo and Cam Smith and Joey Porter Jr. and Christian Gonzalez. And then when you really dive into the tape, you really dive into the numbers, and you just look at what Witherspoon was able to do this year. I mean, it was very, very unique. You're talking about a player that allowed 22 catches on 63 catchable targets. Only six went for first downs. He had three picks. He forced another 18 incompletions. Uh, 25.0 passer rating when targeted on 400 coverage snaps. This tape is as good as anybody's in the draft. It's not just, is he the best corner? Um, is he one of the top you know players that deserves to go in the top 10? You put him up there in terms of just his tape in 2022, it's arguably as good as Jalen Carter's and Will Anderson's and Bryce Young's and Bijan Robinson's. And I'm not saying Witherspoon is necessarily better than those guys, but it's just amazing what he was able to do this year. You love kind of the bark he brings to the back end of the secondary. He's 185, but the way he hits, the way he talks trash, that attitude is infectious. It galvanizes a group. So I kind of knew, I think I landed on him as the cornerback one, maybe early to mid-January, I want to say. And then you kind of sit there and you go, Man, when we get through February, people dive into tape or we get to the combine and he had the hamstring around the combine. So it actually wasn't even then. But when the national media really jumped into his film in March and went, who is this guy? It's an exciting feeling. Yeah, yeah. Connor, you had a good piece in the New York Post today around the five, you're the top five wide receivers. And like any draft, you have your pairs down the list. And then all of a sudden, the nearer we get to the date in question, they kind of shoot up the board. I wouldn't say Zay Flowers has shot up the board, but he's gone from maybe arguably fourth or fifth in terms of people's rankings at up to maybe two behind Smith and Jigman. Are you surprised that of that? And what's your sense for it? Do you believe he's the second pick of the wide receivers? That's a good question because I, I don't think I'm ever surprised when you, you really get a full sense of the class. It starts to become flavors after the top tier. And this year, the top tier is very short. It's Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, and then everybody else falls underneath that. So the people that like the shiftier, smaller guys that know how to separate, know how to get open, know how to win at all three levels, and you are kind of this jitterbug electric player with the ball in their hands, they're going to love Zay Flowers, and justifiably so. But then you also have people that might like size the position, that like Quentin Johnston or Cedric Tillman. Um, and then, of course, you have somebody with just the polish that Jordan Addison has. So he's fascinating to me because when you look at the track record of smaller wide receivers drafted in round one, it's not a consistent theme. You just don't really see these undersized players that I know Zay played inside and outside at the college level, but he's going to be a slot receiver um, at the NFL level. And traditionally, those guys aren't prioritized as first-round picks very, very often. But I think because of how thin the top of this wide receiver class is, he's got a chance. Now, for me, that's a little rich. I like Zay Flowers. I think he'll be a high-end number three with the ceiling of a number two at the next level. He's wide receiver five for me. I just think he's a little limited at that size. I thought there was a lot of focus drops on tape for somebody that you'd like to see that catch rate or drop rate be a little bit lower. He's a really, really good player, but just not the typical profile of a first-round wide receiver for me. And I guess I would be a little surprised if he goes there, but it goes back to the lack of top talent in this wide receiver class that could really push him up the board and good for Zay. Sorry, quick follow-up on that, because the Giants, um, as my team, can keep being linked with him in, in numerous mock drafts. And to your point there, if he's a two, a three, potentially a two, where the Giants are looking for a really a, really a number one, are you surprised that he's been linked there so much? 
I am, and it hasn't been that way for me. I, I look at the Giants there, and I fall back to Quentin Johnston because of the size and the profile to play on the outside. Um, I know that's a little early for Cedric Tillman, but when you get to the Giants' second-round pick, why would you not think about you know a guy like Tillman or Jonathan Mingo there if you want some of that size, and you can go defensive line or offensive line or cornerback at 25. They have needs there as well, and you know you got Waller, so you got some size at pass catcher, but then the rest of the actual wide receiver room is very, very small. And that's why I'm not thinking about, as much as I like them, for the Giants, I'm not taking Zay Flowers. I'm not taking Josh Downs or Tank Dell or Marvin Mims or any of those guys. If you're going to go with a small wide receiver, you take the guy that can actually separate on the outside at all three levels that has won the Belikinoff Award in Jordan Addison, if that's the route you're going to go. But I'm with you all the way that it's a little bit surprising. The Giants, they've been in on the wide receivers, but it feels like they were very, very in, or at least the level of interest was higher on Quentin Johnston. So if they went to that position group and Jackson Smith and Jigba is gone, it feels like they'd go with the bigger wide receiver. Connor, I just want to maybe piggyback on what you were saying in terms of Witherspoon and just in terms of cornerbacks. And because you like say, suffice to say, you're a draft expert, you've been kind of watching this for a while. It feels to me that we're in this um, era now where cornerback is incredibly difficult to play. But all of a sudden, over the past few years, we've had Pat Sertain, we've had Sauce, we've had Tariq Woolen. These guys hit the ground running. Are we? Is this just a golden era of prospects coming out of college? Is it that they're seeing the same sort of looks in, in the NFL? Why are we seeing the, the young CBs being so effective so early in their NFL careers. I think it is a bit of a golden era. I think it really is. And you have to be careful with that. It becomes a little bit infectious to teams that they go, well, I want my sauce gardener this year, or I want my Sertan or JC Horn or whoever it may be. And, you know, when you look at the common theme with those kinds of guys is that they're long. They are very, very athletic. They can turn and run. They have the length to play the ball in the air. There's kind of a prototype forming at the position, and that's why you look at Christian Gonzalez, and that's why he's probably going to go in the top 10 uh, to 14 picks of this draft because he fit that prototype of Sertan. When you look at Witherspoon, just very unique in how sticky he is in coverage. I got to sit down with him at the combine, and he brings up Darrell Revis as a guy he looks at, and your eyes kind of widen and go, you know, that's lofty, but Witherspoon is that under six feet tall. He's 185 pounds, pound for pound, very, very strong for his weight, and kind of gets on the inside of wide receivers and disrupts them. Um, so you you look at that, he's a different kind of player, but he's just so special that you don't care. You kind of throw it out the window. I, he reminds me of Jair Alexander on the Packers, honestly, just a little bit lighter, but that click and close is unique. So we are in the golden era of cornerbacks, cornerback making a comeback, which is nice to see because the wide receiver talent in the league is insane. It's hard to keep up with these guys, but we've had a nice run and that's why they're getting prioritized in a different way. And um, it's even bigger than that when you look at the depth because Joey Porter Jr. is in this class and Deontay Banks, they're first-round players as well. So I think it's a fine balance. I think some people will get burned by it, honestly. I think there'll be some big misses at corner because they were trying to replicate something that is so hard to replicate in the draft. But I do think the talent is incredible. So the flavor of the last like week or two, it seems like, is just been to kind of dump on CJ Stroud, you know? Uh, and I, would, I just want to know how much stock, little stock exchange joke, uh, do you put into like those kind of reports coming out so close to the draft? To me, it kind of feels a little bit more like it's teams maybe hoping that he maybe drops a little bit more so than it is real kind of stuff. Because I just keep like kind of getting the flashback of Frank Reich with his eyes just like popping out of his skull looking at CJ Stroud. And it feels like none of these reports are really coming out during the combine when these guys were having, you know, you have these up close personal like 
talks with him and stuff. How, how much stock do you put into that right now? You're right. Not much, right? You, uh, it depends who you talk to and who you trust. And you hear some little things here and there that maybe add up of that team's thought process. Not ours, not our rankings or the consensus, but maybe an individual team. Let's talk about the Texans, right? I think the conversation with Stroud has taken on a life of its own because maybe there's a world where Tomiko Ryans is going, it's my first year here. How do I win football games? Well, I'm going to win football games by doing what I do best. That's with defense. That's with pass rush up front. And maybe I don't love the quarterbacks and don't feel the need to have one in year one. I want Tyree Wilson or Will Anderson. If that's D'Amico Ryan's argument, then that's, that's his argument. You hired him to be the head coach, and I would understand that. I'm not saying it is, but it's a little bit different for the timeline for the owner and the GM, right? The owner is probably not too thrilled that fans are showing up to watch Davis Mills every Sunday. Or maybe they're not showing up at all. I, I can't speak to that in Houston. And then you look at Nick Casario. If he kicks this can down the road again, is he getting the chance to draft his quarterback next year? I don't believe so. I think that would be ludicrous. So that's why things take on a life of their own where it pivots to, well, now nobody likes C.J. Stroud because we thought he was the automatic top two pick in the draft and the Texans might be thinking something else. And then you look at the hype trains, right? All of a sudden, Will Levis is a lock for the top four. Will Levis two weeks ago was falling outside the top 10. So which is it? Probably somewhere in between, to be honest with you. And then you look at Arizona's, motivation to get out of pick three they'd probably love if the texans don't take cj stroud at two because then arizona actually has some leverage to trade the third overall pick to a team that wants cj stroud cj stroud is a damn good quarterback prospect so these things take on a life of their own and notice what we didn't say there or i didn't say throughout that entire time never brought up anthony richardson's name at the nfl combine anthony richardson looked like the future number one overall pick or was getting that kind of buzz now it's gone quiet. I find that a little bit interesting how that's gone quiet lately. So as you get closer and closer to the draft, you need to filter out more and more of what you hear and go back to what you always thought. Connor, 39 minutes, and that's the first time Anthony Richardson's name came up on this week's show, which is a surprise. But I'm going to jump on to the court. Yeah, well, he, he's been the talk of the town over the past three weeks. But uh, Will Levis, as you said, is moving up the, the board and... There's a lot of Patriots fans in Ireland and some in a tizzy today because he did his uh, visit to the Patriots and everybody starts asking, are they re really in on him? And myself and Colin had a conversation around. For me, I call him agreed at the time, this is about the Patriots kind of doing their own sense check to see where they really value him. If someone wants to jump, say, from 20-odd in the draft up to where the Patriots are in order to get him, if he manages to fall that, to that end of the board. Is that how you see it? It's purely the Patriots doing their homework so they know what their true value is on that player? Yeah, this is how they kind of operate, honestly. They they will dabble, they'll look at the quarterback class, they'll look at all position groups, and you know what's interesting? What we know is real, or seems very, very apparent, is that New England's not sitting there and they're going, well, Mac Jones is our guy as long as we're here, as long as Bill Belichick is still coaching football. They have, and Bill O'Brien has not made that uh, very decisively known. Bill Belichick has not made that decisively known. I think part of it, is psychological, right? That they're kind of sending Mac Jones every message possible of sink or swim, right? Like we've had our friction, we, we've had problems, and we want to see if you can endure that. And if you can't, we will look at other options. One might be in-house in Belly Zappi, and then there might always be the options of different quarterbacks as well. So it, it's kind of a, a fine line to walk where I don't think the Patriots are done with Mac Jones or out on Mac Jones. I think they fully intend to try to get the best version of Mac Jones this year. But I also think there is tactical tough love in play here from New England, and they want to see how he responds. 
a strategic move. Exactly. From uh, from uh, quarterbacks, uh, the guys who make their lives misery, Connor. I'm interested in your thoughts on this year's edge class. It's a great group, and it's another one that you look at corner and tight end where you go, man. It's got somebody at the top that I love, but then it goes 10 to 12 deep that I feel good about these guys. I mean, Will Anderson, I think, is going to be a really, really good NFL player. Uh, I like Tyree Wilson's tools and power and length and think if you teach that guy 20% more of a pass rush plan, he's going to be a double-digit sack guy. He just falls into sacks because he's so powerful and so long that it doesn't take as much, I don't want to say effort, but maybe skill for him to consistently win and then it's interesting how the rest of the board goes, right? Uh, B.J. Ojolari is edge three for me. I know he's not going to be drafted that way in this draft. You have the big guys, whether it's Lucas Van Ness could go top 10, Miles Murphy from Clemson, um, Keon White from Georgia Tech. Those are your big edges. They could hold up against the run. They rush with power. They're athletic for their size, very uniquely athletic for that size, but kind of a little bit of a ball of clay in terms of the pass rush tools that they bring with guys like Ojolari and Will McDonald and Nolan Smith, they're more stand-up speed rushers. I could beat you with the ghost move. I can get around you. Uh, I'm going to win the corner all the time. Still trying to figure out how to counter with an inside move. Won't be for everybody, but at the same time, can be a super, super impactful player, all three of them, at the next level. So that's what you love about this edge class. It feels like it truly has everything. If you're a team that needs stand-up speed guys, you got multiple options. If you want somebody that can put their hand in the dirt, be a five tech, maybe even kick inside on pat on third and longs. They can do that as well. If you want the ball of clay, there's balls of clay. If you want guys that can be rotational rushers from year one and maybe stumble into five or six sacks, I think those guys exist as well on day two. So this is a deep pass rush class, and the value of the position is so important in the NFL. Teams are clamoring each year to not be one, two, three deep at edge. They want a stable of pass rushers on their roster. So I'm sure you've watched far too many games this season. I know I have of, you know, however many prospects. If you had to pick maybe one game that stood out as just like the most enjoyable game you watched, and I don't want to say the best, you know, purely one that just like you kept going, ooh, you kept going, ah, you kept, you know, seeing things that popped out to you. And if you can't name one game, maybe one prospect that just had repetitive games, what would be that game for you this this draft season? It's funny you ask that because I do have a new cell in my dock where I write best game, right, for a player. And I don't I don't fill it for all, you know, 400 players or whatever it is. But if something stands out to me, I always have that note of I started this process in May, guys, like a true sicko. I'm going to forget things. I, if I lose my draft dock, I'm I'm in big trouble. So that best game cell that I've been operating with for, I think, the last two years really, really helps. And one that comes to mind as I'm just scrolling rapidly is, and it all kind of wakes you up, is Nick Herbig against Iowa. I mean, that's one where he just decimated their offensive line. They didn't have an answer for him. I think he had three sacks. That's a game that you look at and go, man, this guy, he's a weird player, right? He's a linebacker. He's not a defensive end. He's a stand-up guy. He wins with the first step. That destroyed Iowa, who's really a north-south kind of bully you in a phone booth team. And Herbig ate them alive. And then you look at the obvious one in offense, Jalen Hyatt destroyed Alabama. And that kind of put Jalen Hyatt on everyone's map as not just a player in this draft class, but a guy that's probably going to go in the top 50 because of how he wins with that vertical speed over the top and tracks the football in the air. So I think it's a really, really good question because you can do an exercise of you can even finish watching a guy or you got a couple games and you go, okay, now let me see the best and let me see the worst. 
And sometimes you walk away and say, man, the worst wasn't that bad. I think a staff can clean those things up. Or the best was fluky. Maybe he had two tipped interceptions that kind of fell into his lap. So it's a really, really good exercise that you should always try to do for the top guys. Love that you mentioned Herbig. He's such a weird player, but he's awesome. Connor, three years removed from when four offensive line went in the top 15, and this year they're saying it's it's reasonably stacked, but Paris Johnson and, and Peter Skaronski have really kind of set themselves apart from the others. I think Broderick Jones is coming in behind them. Is it, do you see a big drop-off after those two, or do you think it's, it's a reasonably stacked offensive line this year? It's interesting. It is very stacked, and I think we could easily replicate four going in the top 15 again. I know a lot of teams are looking at Skaronski and – kind of labeling him as a, maybe a guard only. And you wonder how much does that impact, impact him? He's just too good of a player to fall out of the top 15. He really is. I mean, you look at him and you think all pro guard. Uh, he played center coming out of high school, was a big center recruit. I don't think he's going to play center at the next level, but he's that kind of player that could just do it. And I think he could hold up at tackle. But I think a team in an ideal scenario would draft him as a guard, but he's one of the best players in the draft, so he'll go top 15. Paris has played right guard. He's played left tackle. His long-term home is going to be tackle. The length, uh, I heard his interviews have been phenomenal. Just the guy that will really, really take to coaching and that people would love to get in their offensive line room. Broderick is a gifted, gifted player. I'm actually a little surprised that, it, I don't know if it's the general public or what it is, but it seems like things have cooled off on him. Doesn't carry any bad weight. He's got strength. He needs to, His hands need to be coached up. He plays very, very wide hands that hurts his ability to anchor. He's not... He has the strength. It's there. You can see it on rep after rep, but he needs to dial in on the technique a little more. I'll tell you guys the wild card and why I said four could go in the top 15 again. I think Darnell Wright could go early. I, I really, really do. And I think he's only a right tackle, but I don't think teams care. And talk about a high-variance player. I had one offensive line coach say to me, he might be Jason Peters-level player for you or that that type of talent. He might be a bust in three years. And when you look at that, you, it does make sense because – He's somebody that I thought he played too heavy this year in college, did a great job getting some weight down for the senior bowl, got even more weight down for the combine. It felt like he was playing, uh, this is a guess, but I thought above 350 or high 340s, low 340s at the senior bowl, low 330s at the combine. That's great for Darnell, right? Because that should help his endurance, which I thought was one of the bigger questions with him when you watch him on tape. I'm like, man, this guy's best reps. He gets Will Anderson and Brian Brzee. He's destroying these guys. But does he have the endurance and can he lock in enough to give you that on a 100% down-by-down basis. So Darnell Wright's the fascinating one. He can go 9 to the Bears. He can go all the way to 15 at the Patriots, and, and nobody really knows right now. Do, do you see, if, if it is Darnell Wright that is the wild card, do you see people suggesting him as a reach? Or do you think people would just recognize things have evolved over the course of the, the last few months? It, by nature, it would be for me. I, I don't have him as a top 25 player in this draft. I thought he really can, his feet can struggle dealing with speed, like the Will McDonald's of the world. I, I was five feet away from one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl with him, and Wright had some really, really good reps. His power, when he gets his hands on you, you're done. It's over. Uh, his ability to really dominate in the run game is really special, but I think speed, that you look at him and you go, can you leave him out on an island against the elusive edge rushers in the NFL? And I don't see that right now. And and listen, I can't say that. Like, Paris Johnson, I could do that with. And Broderick Jones, I even can do that with. And Broderick lost a couple times to Ojolari, but... At the same time, Broderick won a lot as well. So I think with Wright, it would be a little bit of a reach. But to counter, offensive line is starting to feel like the quarterback tax, right? I might have a guy at 32, but if a team takes him at 9, I go, that's the price of doing business. If you want 
an offensive lineman, an edge pass rusher, an elite corner, or a top-end quarterback, it's going to cost you a top-15 pick in the NFL draft these days. Connor, um, you're, you're, we've talked about this before. Your tweet game is strong. And for anyone who's watching or listening, you've got to follow, uh, follow Connor on there. Uh, today, that draft series tweet uh, with the four pictures was a work of art. Um, final, final one from me, though, because um, while the Cowboys might be America's team, they have a, a significant uh, following over here. We've had some questions come in in the comments. Can Jerry help himself? Can can he resist Bijan? I think no. But here's the good news, Cowboys fans, and I love Bijan Robinson, so it's hard to really sell it as a bad pick. I don't think they'll have the opportunity. I, he's not going to be there anymore for the longest time. And you go through the box drafts and you go, I, I won't take the running back in the top 20 here. But then you go through it in your mind and you look at it and go, 28 Bengals, the Bills, the Cowboys, those three teams on the back end. I mean, it's hard to see those teams being able to control themselves. But then you really go inside and you stack all these players and you go, man, Bijan's a top five player in this draft at a position that he could do everything. He could motion out to the slot. He could run outside. He could run inside. He could pass protect. Are all these teams in the top 21, I'll, I'll end with the Chargers, going to let that go by and say, you know what, we'll, we'll take a guy that we have a second-round grade on to play wide receiver or tight end or, or whatever it may be. I can't see that mold happening where pick after pick might happen once or twice or three times, but it, I think it starts in Chicago at nine. Maybe even Atlanta at eight. I, I, that's rich for my blood, but Chicago at nine and the Chargers at 21, somewhere in there, because we, we got to realize, and maybe this is where the Cowboys actually uh, can't control themselves, somebody will move up to get a special player. It happens every single year, the trait that you can't see coming. Maybe somebody will come up from the second round acting the round one to get him. So I'm sure the Cowboys would love to add a player of his caliber. I just find it unlikely that he falls that far. So then I'm going to ask kind of a flip side of my first question. We're going we're gonna to close it out, you know, come full circle. That's how we like to do it. Um, So as far as like a prospect, maybe that you hadn't watched their film on, that throughout the draft process just has maybe made themselves the most money. I, I, I got a few guys to come to mind, but, you know, through, like, the Senior Shrine Bowl, Combine, maybe Pro Days interviews, like, who's someone that has really gone from maybe an unknown name, maybe one of those small school guys, to, like, wow, this is a guy I could truly see going top 75? Yeah, that's a good one as well. I think you try to go inside, like, the Shrine level and down because you have some players— um, here, here's actually, no, we'll go the other way. We will go to the Senior Bowl because this guy was not an original Senior Bowl roster guy, did not get the NFL Combine invite, and that's Marte Mapu from Sac State. He's a safety in college. He's kind of this linebacker hybrid safety that can play in the box. I mean, he goes to NFL PA Bowl and dominates the whole week that he gets the call up to the Senior Bowl. And then he's a top three player on the Senior Bowl field. It wasn't even originally on the roster wasn't invited to the Combine, and the Combine list is generally dictated by the opinions of who teams want to see, they missed him. The, the league missed this guy, and when you actually dig into the tape, played on a great football team, he's everywhere, sideline to sideline speed, he can cover, he's uh, very, very intense. I mean, in a senior bowl period where it's not necessarily full contact, he'll come down and he'll kind of hit you. So Marte Mapu is someone for me that, if I didn't get to see him down there on the field at the senior ball, considering he wasn't at the combine, you might not get to him until this week. I mean, I'm still getting through the guys that I think are sixth, seventh round kind of players. Marte Mapu is way, way better than that. And I'm glad he got the call up to the senior bowl. And it's a sin he was not invited to the NFL combine.
for real. I remember the senior bowl rep where he took out like both Oklahoma, the entire Oklahoma backfield in one hit. And I was like, oh my God, who is this person? I need to watch it. And I bet, man, truly. Yeah, crazy. Connor, uh, a week tonight, you're extremely busy this time of year. So we greatly appreciate you giving up your time as always to us uh, this time of year. Uh, your insights are fantastic. We love listening to you and uh, look forward to next week. And all will be revealed this day next week. We really appreciate you coming on tonight. Oh, no problem, guys. You know I love catching up with you. It's always a blast. You guys do such a good job. I know we'll talk soon. Thanks, Connor. Thanks.